liked it. Go, Stephen. This is a this is a test to see if everything is in sync with the live stream feed. See if it's a bad Japanese movie. I'll edit this out this afternoon when I upload everything to Sermon Audio. That doesn't mean it won't get out after.
welcome you to our services this morning. Last time you get to listen to me for uh, two weeks. You get a break from me uh, this, this next weekend. We look forward. I hope that you have made your plans to be with us uh, beginning Friday night at 7 o'clock. Uh, we'll have two services. Uh, Gary Shepard will preach in the first hour. And Bill will preach in the second hour, and then we will order in pizza. And for those that want to stay after the services, we'll eat pizza back in the back. And then uh, Saturday morning, Bill will preach the first lesson, uh, a sermon, and then uh, Gary will preach in the second hour, and then we'll have our fish fry together. And then uh, the, the young people are going to have a get-together Saturday night back in the back. And by young people, I think they defined it last Sunday, 18 and above. So I think that's, anybody remember? I think it was something like that. So they're going to meet together back in the back and spend some time together. We have several people that are coming uh, from out of town. I know that uh, the three brothers from down in uh, uh, Florida that were here back in December, they're coming and they're bringing two more brothers with them. So there's five of them coming. I don't know whether their mom and dad's coming. Uh, David and Elaine Bell and their daughter Rachel are coming down from Canada. I know that uh, Terry and Danita Elliott and another couple is coming down from uh, Ashland. And uh, hopefully, if everything works out, uh, Robert Higby is supposed to be here uh, that meets with us on uh, Wednesday night in our Wednesday night Bible study. I'm supposed to meet the caterer tomorrow about uh, setting up everything where we're going to put him at outside for the fish fry on Saturday. And then Sunday, we'll have our regular services. <clears throat> Gary will preach in the first hour, and then Bill will conclude our Bible study in the second hour at 11 o'clock, and then we'll have a uh, fellowship meal together to conclude the conference. I, I look forward to it. I, I begin to get encouraged and excited about it because I... I look forward to getting an opportunity to, to, to listen to somebody myself occasionally. It's, it's an encouragement to me. You say, well, you could listen all the time. I've got other things that I do through the week other than listening all the time. I try to listen. I listen to a few messages, uh, but not that many because I have such a busy week. But I hope that uh, you can be here with us, that uh, uh, the Lord will allow the live streams. We'll be live streaming all, all six of the services on uh, sermon audio, uh, YouTube live, and uh, Facebook live, uh, Lord willing, and pray that that'll all uh, work uh, adequately. Uh, any announcements before we begin this morning? There's a sign-up sheet in the back. If you hadn't signed up for the fellowship meal uh, next Sunday, you might want to look at what's being brought and add your name to the list for that. Remember all these that are on the prayer list. Uh, uh, still, I, I left the Rob Moore family uh, on there. They were the ones that their young daughter, 14-year-old daughter, was killed in the four-wheeler accident. So remember them in prayers. Good to have Kenny and Sandra and their family back with us today. They had a, a very trying week this week, and uh, many of us had the opportunity to go down uh, for the funeral, uh, for his mom and dad's funeral. Okay. And uh I, I tell you what, I, I wish everybody, I, I thank my God through Christ Jesus, my Lord, uh, every day of my life that uh, the Lord put me and this dude back together. And I, I was so thankful and so blessed and so encouraged. And everybody that was there with me, all was there. And 
Nack was there, and uh, uh, Donald was there, and all was there. And we were all truly blessed by it. The gospel went forth, and the Lord uh, truly blessed the message. I know he blessed it to me, uh, but I'm thankful for it. I'm grateful that they're here. And I'm grateful that Lord willing they'll be able to be with us this next, next week uh, during the Bible conference as well. Anything else? Okay, let us go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless us in our time of study. Kenny, if you would, lead us in opening prayer, please, sir. Father in heaven, almighty God, Lord, I am so thankful for the place to come to meet with brethren of like precious faith to worship you in spirit and in truth, Father. Lord, I'm thankful for this gospel, Father, that it is wherein is found life. Lord, the only life, the only hope that we can possibly uh, see in, in this world. And Lord, you have provided us with no merit on our own Okay, take your Bibles this morning and turn back to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And I can promise you this morning, you don't have to worry about me getting so strung out like what I did last Sunday morning. We had that, that lady that uh, was church hopping that showed up last Sunday morning. And I, I, I just basically, when I see somebody that comes in, I know I can't save anybody. But I tell you what, I know that the message that God has given me of his mercy and grace through and by and only in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only message he will use to call out his elect true faith and true repentance. So when I see somebody come in, and I think everybody that's been with us for any period of time, you're sitting here and you hear a door open and all of a sudden things change and the message, it's not a different message, but... It is, I, I, I think I try as hard as I possibly can to make it as clear and as distinct as I possibly can from everything else. Because I, I know people have a tendency, uh, they listen to what you say, they'll nod their head to what you say, like, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. But listen, there, there's always a sticking point if they're not a child of God. So I don't have to back the wagon up today and unload the wagon today. So we'll, we'll actually cover some verses this morning. But I do want to begin with this because this is so important. Everything that he's saying in this chapter has something to do with brotherly love, with our relationship, our union to, our fellowship with. I mean, and that's the thing that you and I have to understand uh, is, is children of God. John put it best. I, I, th- I like the way John wrote it. He says, uh, if we, wa- well, let me read it to you. I forgot it, but let me read it to you. He said this in First John. That which we have heard, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. What kind of fellowship? Were we just buddies? No. Where we're related by blood. No. 
We have fellowship where? In Christ. In Christ. He said that we had you we might have you might have fellowship with us. And this is what we have to understand as sinners by birth, by nature, by practice, and by choice. By virtue of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ, this is true of every one of us. Truly our fellowship, all of God's elect, from the newborn babe in Christ to the oldest, most mature, most seasoned veteran in the gospel of God's grace, even John, the apostle Paul, Peter. Truly our fellowship, their fellowship is with the Father, and with his son, Jesus Christ. Folks, I'm telling you, life, eternal life is not something that we feel. I hope you understand that. I, I've tried to make that clear. I, our emotions get involved with it. But we cannot let, our emotions can be tricked. Now they can. Eternal life, true salvation, which is the gift of God, is an absolute scriptural fact. That's all it is. I've said this so many times here and in other pulpits, many, many times here. I always think about the, the TV broadcast that I watched as a child, Dragnet. You ever remember anybody watched Dragnet? Remember what his phrase was? Just the facts, man. Just the facts. That's what, I, that's what this, this, this fellowship we have, this gospel that we declare our fellowship is with the Father, eternal life. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, who the Father. And our fellowship is with the Son. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom the Father sends. So that's, our, that's where our fellowship is, is, has its foundation. That, and I'll tell you what, on this rock, and what Christ said, on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I finished up watching that series on the Hillsong Church and uh, that sucker blew up like a nuclear warhead blew up in Hillsong is what happened to it. But to hear those people talk about, well, I just, I missed the church. You know, one lady said, I'll never step back in a church for the rest of my life. I thought you didn't step in one to begin with. <laughs> you realize that, don't you? You've never worshipped God. You've never been under the gospel. You've never been a true ch- in a true church except where the true gospel is preached, period. You've gone to a, a, a religious association and you've had interaction, much like social interaction, because that's what most churches are. They're just... Socially interactive groups, one with another. And see, the the children of God, we have a love and a union with one another through Jesus Christ our Lord that is unbreakable. Now, does that mean we don't ever get upset at one another? No, that's... (laughs) We're humans. And as humans, you know what? We get our feelings hurt. Me too. You too. And... Tragically, we get our feelings hurt all too easy, don't we? But here's the thing. We cannot, those that are born of God, they cannot and they will not allow the the feelings that they have for another child of God to separate them from the gospel. You understand that? I don't care if you and I can't can't stand to be in the same room with one another. I'm still coming to this place. And I think you would too. 
Because you're not here for me, and I'm not here for you. Because that, that's the thing. If you're here for me, or you're here for an interaction with me, or anybody else in this building, our mindset about worship's not correct. We come here to hear about Christ, about His blood, about His righteousness, about His accomplished death. And here's the thing, our love toward one another is evidenced in this life. We want the best for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at verse 3. This, this lesson is let brotherly love continue part 3. Look at verse 13, verse 3 of chapter 13. Remember them that are in bonds, is bound with them, and them which suffer adversity, is being yourselves also in the body. One thing this verse tells me right off the bat, some of these people in this Hebrew fellowship to whom the apostle writes this epistle were in bonds over the gospel. They weren't in jail because they were thieves or liars or murderers or adulterous. They had been imprisoned because they loved the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what our Lord told the, his apostles? He said the time comes when they'll think it, they'll think they've done righteousness by doing what? Kicking you out of the congregation, putting you in prison. Our Lord made it very clear in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when you suffer for what? Not yeah, in that, in that, isn't that amazing how religious people turn those things around? Blessed are you when you suffer for righteousness' sake. Most people, you ask most of your friends, most of your family members, most of these people in all these churches around the area, ask them what it is to suffer for righteousness' sake. And you know what they're going to tell you? How you live. How people see you in your presentation. That's not suffering for righteousness' sake. I don't know if Kenny remembers this, but when we were down in Manny, I mean, I was I was a rascal back in. <laughs> I was a I was a a once saved, always saved Southern Baptist. that was a, a mean spirited little devil. Is what I was. Didn't have anything to do with even. Didn't go to church. But I still thought I was saved because I'd made a profession of religion. And Manny, just like every, every town in Louisiana, we had a great majority of Pentecostal people down there. And we had Pentecostal friends that went to school with us. And even to this day, it's still in me. I go in a restaurant or something or go in a store and you see them women walk in with them big old bouffant beehives, you, you know what I mean, and dress with all that. They, you know, you think you ought to start a manufacturing company and make them blue den denim midriff dresses that they all wear. They all wear the same dress. They all have the hair the same. And we used to pick at them. Now, we did. Me and, and Ricky Riser and all of we were mean to people, you know, just mock them like, why do you wear your hair that way? Why do you wear that shirt all the time? Why do you act that way? And you know what they, and you know what they thought? They thought they were suffering for righteousness' sake. The Jews thought they suffered for righteousness' sake. Listen, all those people that, and this is tragic, all those Jews that died in the Holocaust, what did they think they were suffering for? For righteousness' sake. The wrong kind of righteousness. 
We get, we, by nature, we get that wrong. Because those Jews that thought they were suffering for righteousness' sake, Paul said they were what? Ignorant of the righteousness of God. And he says to us, Blessed are you when men shall persecute you for my name's sake. For, for this gospel that identifies and distinguishes the true Christ from every other Christ. And so some of these people, are, he said, remember them that are in bonds. And see, these verses, they, they speak of our duty toward our brothers and sisters in Christ who suffer for the gospel's sake. It kills me. You know, you see so much on social media. The majority of it is just junk anyhow. But you know, you're constantly seeing all these things, and, and it, it amazes me how many people that I consider to be true believers that believe the same God will promote something like pray for the, the people, the Christians, that are suffering in Iraq and Iran and all these other places. When I see that and I hear them talking about Christians suffering in other places, you know what the first thing that comes to my mind? Are they suffering for righteousness' sake or are they suffering for religious position's sake? There's a big deal of difference. Just because you've named the name of Christ and they've thrown you in jail over that, that don't mean you're suffering for the gospel. Because I tell you, the difference is this. You could renounce that. You can't renounce this righteousness. This righteousness is the righteousness that God instills in the heart, mind, and soul of understanding His people that enables them in the face of the greatest adversity to be like Stephen or Peter or Paul or James. You say, I'm not that strong. I guarantee if you'd talked to Stephen right before he was stoned, Stephen didn't think he was strong. Matter of fact, I know this. Stephen wasn't strong. I thank my God that you know, he tells us that when we're weak, then are we strong. So he was at his weakest. Why? He had nobody to depend on but the God of his salvation. Same God that was Abraham's shield and his exceeding great reward. Look, turn on, hold your place there. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. People say, y'all don't put enough emphasis on practicing these things. Well, listen, I'm fitting to put some emphasis on some practice here, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25. Or verse 24, he said, or verse 23. <laughs> verse 23. Verse 22. <laughs> Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble. You see that? He says there are some members of the body, they appear outwardly to be what? Weak. And they are. But listen to us. Even though they're weak, what are they? They're necessary. They're an essential. Listen, don't you ever think that you, whoever you are in Grace Baptist Church, that you're not necessary. You, you are as important as any other member of this local assembly. All of you. Well, I don't do anything. I tell you what you do, something. You sit out there and you listen to God's gospel and you rejoice in the Christ's praise. That's doing something. I'll tell you what, by you sitting there, you know what you've done? 
You've encouraged me. And that's what this is about. We encourage one another. He says, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to the, that part which lacked. That there should be no schisms in the body, but that the members should have the same, listen, notice it's the same thing he's saying over in our text. What should we have? The same care for one another. What does that tell me? There, there should never be like there was in false religion. Even in those Southern Baptist churches I was in, you remember what it all broke up like? It broke up by, maybe by class, finances, or by intellect, some thinking they're smarter than others, or by social status. Some of them are mayors or, or you know, somebody, a lawyer or something like that. We're all, we're all equal. And I say this as, as thoughtfully as I can. I am one with you. Huh? People all the time that write to us, that find us on Sermon on you, they always write to me and they, they call me, you know, Brother Richard or Pastor. I tell them the same thing that I've told you. Everybody in this church, just about without exception, how do you think of me? You call me by what? I got a name, don't I? Just like you got a name. Richard, that's my name. Now, the, the children, yeah, I, I, I kind of appreciate the fact that the children address me as Brother Richard, but everybody else in this church fellowship, what am I to you? I'm a, I'm a sinner saved by God's grace just like you are. I'm a person who stands in need of a righteousness every single solitary moment of my life just like you. And we should not divide up and segment ourselves off within the local assembly and not only within the local assembly but throughout the entire true body of Christ. Separate ourselves out by class or division or, or intellect. We, we, we ought to be able to talk with one another just like we're, oh, wait, we're family. <laughs> Even families have squabbles. But they're still family. And whether Notice what he says here. And whether one member suffer, he says, remember those that are in bonds. He said, if they're, if they're suffering, who else is suffering? <clears throat> All the members suffer with it. You see that? Or one member be honored. If one of, one of our members exceeds and is blessed uh, financially or, or, or uh, with something, how should we react? We're blessed with them. We're one. This one body, it moves as a unit. I always think about the song of Solomon we talked like that. He says that they were a, there was a banner over them and they were a, a strong... A, Banner over me, banner over who? Banner over all of us is what? Love, and we're a great army in Christ Jesus. United we stand, divided we fall. All the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ. Who? All of us. And members in particular. 
at an important place. I, all of us, how are we they here? I always think about that verse, Sally. I always think about you. I, 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 what do you have that you didn't receive? And if you didn't receive it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? I didn't ask for the grace of God. Did you? If you did, you asked for another grace. <laughs> grace means that, that it's undeserving. It was unsought for. I, I certainly was not looking for him. No, no more than those nine, coin, ten coins were looking for that woman or those 99 or 100 sheep. Where they, they were all sheep. They were all coins. It was a prodigal son. He wasn't looking for anything. He had gone his own way, and we had too. And But for the grace of God, we'd, we'd still be there. You ought to thank God that he sought you when you sought him not. I lead the blind by a way they have not known. Uh-huh. I tell you, it, it's easy to talk about love, but evidences of love aren't so easy. Uh-huh. And that's the goal and standard we should strive for from a spirit of adoption. We're, we, are, we are adopted sons and daughters. We are, listen, Every member of the body of Christ are heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ. Every one of them. So if we're all joint heirs with Christ and we're all as members in particular, like we read just a moment ago, joint heirs with Christ, how should we treat one another? How should we feel one for another? I know it will hit me again uh, next Sunday morning when I stand up on that last service because I know that my dear brother, Bill, and Gary are about to go away. And it'll be hard to control my emotions. It will. It will be hard for me to control my emotions. I, I, as, as your pastor... And I hope it's many, 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 many years in the future. I've, I've had the privilege now pastoring this group for 36 plus years and never had to preach one funeral of any member in church, Grace Baptist Church. And as much as I know in my heart that everybody who believes this gospel is truly absent from the body and present with the Lord, that they are indeed, I can say this, conclusively and joyfully. If you leave this earth and you believe this gospel, you are indeed better off than me because I got to stay here. But that's still, knowing that to be true, that ain't going to make it any easier for us. Our hearts will break. Hmm? I remember how my heart broke when I lost my dad and my mom. I do. I tell you what, I, I knew the end of my mom and my dad. But I'll tell you this much. I know the end of you, and I know my end. But when you go, it's going to be hard for me to stand up here and say anything about you. Because we got to remain.
In a way, we envy you. Do we not? But here's the thing. That knowledge of how we're to treat one another and how we should love one another as adopted sons and daughters of God and the certain knowledge of knowing how far short we come, it's what should be the cause to drive us where? To drive us back to the promises. To drive us back to depend more and more on I hate to sin, don't you? I wish I really... Well, I don't. Well, yeah, I do. I wish I wish I never sinned. <laughs> but I know if I didn't sin, I know what I'd be like. And I'm not excusing sin. Don't you? If anybody's watching this, I know these people in front of me understand what I just said. If you're watching out there and you just caught this part of the broadcast, you thought this guy's saying it's okay for us to sin. That's not what I'm saying. But I tell you what our sins do to us, to the child of God. They make us thankful that it is by the grace of God all the time. It's easy to rely on the grace of God when, when you're whatever men call living right or what you might consider living right. But when you've fallen into a state like King David or you've fallen into a state like old uh, Samson was in, I read a wonderful uh, devotional this week I kind of kind of got all out of whack with everything that was going on this week and I didn't post a whole lot to Facebook this week but I read a wonderful article by William by Robert Hawker on uh, a Nazarite from the womb on Samson that he was he was a Nazarite from his birth and he's, he's such a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ but I tell you, he was an awful sight out there with his head shaved and with his eyes gouged out, hooked up by a chain to a grist mill, pulling around, grinding the grist. Huh? Who was he still? i tell you another one. Jonah in the whale's belly. I bet that was a... <laughs> you envision that? And uh, you know, the, the thought, this is how the natural mind thinks, I think... He, he, it says he turned his face toward the temple. I don't think he was turning. I think when it said he, I think I just answered my own question. He wasn't turning toward the temple in Jerusalem. He turned his face toward the temple. You know where the temple he, because the temple is where God's at. He turned his face toward the temple where his Lord dwelt. And he says, I'll pay that vow that you've demanded me. And he said, what? Salvation is of the Lord. He had sinned. And like Kenny and I have talked in the past, reading, he didn't want to go there. He knew God was going to be merciful because God don't send somebody somewhere if he's not about to send mercy that way. And he didn't, as a Jew, he didn't want them, them Nazareth, those people down there in, uh, where was he going? Nineveh. He didn't want them Ninevites saved. And that's what's amazing. After he, after he got spit out by the whale, he went and preached. How many? 120,000. They, they rent their clothes and sackcloth and ashes and repented. And what, what, did, what, did, what did he do? What did Jonah do? 
Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. We got 125,000 souls saved. Know what he does? He goes up and sits down under a tree. Morning. Falls asleep under a tree. Oh, we are a mess, aren't we? What did he need? Grace of God. What do we need? The grace of God. All our sin drives us where? It drives us back to him. Rest in his promises. Look at verse 4. Marriage, we got an opportunity to do this yesterday. Marriage is honorable in all. In the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Hmm. I wonder what this means. (laughs) And why is this thrown in there? Well, we've got to realize that at this particular time, there were those uh, religions that what were they doing? They were forbidding marriage. Now, let me be clear up front. When they were forbidding marriage, it had nothing to do with what's going on in our generation today to where, you know, our, our people up yonder in Washington voted to, and then the Supreme Court upheld that Obergefell or whatever it is, to where anybody can marry anybody. And I, I saw this week, I read an article this week, there's some place up in Massachusetts right now, and I remember people saying this, and I myself thought it back when they passed that, if anybody can marry anybody, why can't you marry more than one person at a time? They have now got a place in Massachusetts that they believe it's okay, and they have legalized it in the state of Massachusetts. I think that's the state that you can marry as many people as you want, polygamy. Just have all you want. That's not what this is talking about. This is not talking about homosexual marriage. Listen, the way, the way it came from the, the, the mouth of Almighty God when he first established man, he took Adam and Eve. Remember, he took a, a rib out of Adam, a man. A man. A true biological man. And he made a woman. And why did he make him, her, for him? Why did he do that? He saw that he was how? He was alone. He needed what? help meet. Didn't need a slave. He didn't need somebody he could beat down. And that's not the husband's role. I, as, as we read those verses yesterday for Hannah and Drew's wedding, I, I think about that. Everybody, everybody wants to key on about the wife submitting to her husband, but here's the thing. A wife will submit to a husband if a husband loves her as Christ loves the church. It's easy for a woman to follow a man that shows her love and appreciation and respect and values her word and her, her confidence and her uh, knowledge and wisdom. We got to listen to women sometimes. Now, in, uh, properly, in the church, women have a role, a role given by our God. And it doesn't seem to be the role that, that the world likes to appreciate, but nevertheless... You know the way, you know what the Word of God says about a woman's role within the church? And teach children. And teach young adults. And teaching men. Not gonna happen. You say, well, that's just old fashioned. Well, I tell you what, that's what this book says. And we followed this book since we started this church. 
And as long as I'm the pastor, you know what we're going to do? We're going to follow this book, what it teaches. And the Lord's been pleased to bless it. So that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about marriage outside of the realm of what marriage is. This reason a man, you hear that? A man shall leave his father and his mother, not his father and his father and his mother and his mother. They'll leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his what? Wife. And I'm pretty sure a wife is what? It's a female. And they two, and let, this is the only way, it takes a man and a woman for two to be one. But they were forbidden it. We've been studying through 1 Timothy in our Wednesday night Bible study. A couple weeks ago, we covered this passage when he was writing to that young pastor, Timothy, and he told Timothy this. He said, uh, forbid, he said, in the end time, there'll be, listen to what he says. He says, now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times shall some depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And listen to this, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to receive with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. And how, how true is that even in our generation? The Catholics have finally started letting some of their priests, don't make it right, but they, you know, they went for years. You could not be married and be a priest. Now they got all kind of problems and controversy, just like all religion does. But how many, how many religions, they, you know, they're, they're teetotalers. I'm not telling you go out and get drunk, but I tell you what the scriptures tell us what? Temperance. Moderation. Don't get drunk. Be not drunk with wine. You hear that? Don't be drunk. That means you can have an occasional, yeah. And I can, I, I'll never forget as long as I live. When the gospel first came to Grace, to Broad Acres Baptist Church in Shreveport. It was by a guy that's now long dead and gone to be with our Lord from down in Lake Charles, Brother McKinney, who came out from underneath uh, Henry Mahan. I didn't know Henry Mahan from Adam when he was there. And to be honest with you, when he preached that Bible, that he came. That, I don't know how Don got his name. Don got his name up. He preached a revival for us. And when he got done, he came in there and was talking with Don, and I was Don's second in command. I was sitting in Don's office when he came in there to tell us bye. And he gave him, gave him that tape by Henry, do you really want to know the gospel? That's where that thing came from. And he handed it to me. He said, you might want to consider getting this guy. And Don looked at that tape after he walked out. He just opened his desk drawer up and threw that thing in there. He said, I'll never have that guy back, and I certainly don't want this guy. And I'm like, why, Don? He said, I'll, he said if I'd have known that dude smoked a pipe, I'd have never had him in my pool. And you know what old Richard said? I don't blame you. <laughs> and yet, by divine providence, that changed not only my life, but all our lives. <laughs> but that's where religion leads to, this forbidding thing. See, apparently those that, that there were those contending that somehow or another, if you didn't marry, what were you? You're more holy. You're more righteous. 
But, uh, you know, it, it, it was saying you need to be celibate. And I tell you what, young, young people, you should be celibate until you marry. You should. That's just a scriptural, and it's honest, and it's forthright to the partner that you one day be led by God's providence to be with. But what the apostle tells them is that marriage, you know, it's not only honorable, but he says, what, it, what is marriage the only remedy for? What's the only thing it takes care of adultery and fornication? Marriage. Didn't he say in another place it's better to marry than to what? Burn. Burn with what? With lustful passions. Because think about it. Who's the author of marriage? You think about how, how glorious this thing. And this is the thing I always think about. I didn't read that far yesterday. I, I, I meant to read further than that, but I, I had my notes written out, so I didn't remember the last part of those verses. He makes it very clear after he gives that list in Ephesians chapter 5 about husbands love your wives and wives submit yourselves. And he says, but I'm not speaking about a marriage down here. What am I speaking about? I'm speaking about Christ and his church. That's why when he talks about, I think it's over in... Uh, Habakkuk, maybe, might be where he's at, that, that the Lord hates putting away. The Lord hateth putting away, and that putting away is divorce. Here's the thing, what would Christ never do? See, we, we, you know, our Lord told them that Moses gave them a commandment by way of weakness in man that what should you do? You could write a bill of divorcement. Christ said it wasn't that way from the beginning. Why? Because the true marriage between a man and a wife is a picture of what? Christ to his church. And there's no bill of divorcement there. Christ, can, we, we can get divorced, and we do. Christ done. Go read Hosea. It, 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 what was her name? Gomer? <laughs> what was her name? Gopher Gomer. I don't forgot what her name is. She was she was out there whoring around like all oh, get out. What did what did God tell tell Hosea to do? Go get her. Stay after. Don't let her go. Don't let her go. Ain't you grateful Christ won't let us go? Ever. See, those who refuse marriage and continue in a life of fornication and adultery or those who marry and continue in a life of adultery, reveal themselves to be what? Ignorant of the grace of God, mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, believers, they, they fall into these things. I take it back. I got fall in in my note. They, they deliberately act on these things at times. But you know what God, God will not allow them to do? He won't allow them to continue. He won't. Whom the Lord loves, what does he do? He chastens and scourges every son. We've already read and been through that. That's as far as I can get. <laughs> I've run out of time. I apologize for being so long, long-winded. I really do. <laughs> we'll stop right there. We'll come back next time and pick up. I want to get through verse 5 and 6. I, I can't get through these verses. I'm hung up here, <laughs> You're dismissed to worship by
We out of bulletins, Lauren? Yeah. Message changing. So we need to do a different thing. We're in a different
You ready, Kenny? I don't lean it. I was gonna lean over the mic because everybody be quiet, but that don't help me. <laughs> if y'all will quieten down, we'll get started. So. <laughs> we welcome you to our services this morning. Those that are joining us via live stream, we pray the Lord will allow everything to run uh, for His glory and for His honor as we seek to worship Him in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in human flesh. Take your bulletins this morning, if you would. Turn to the call to worship. Uh, it will be sung to the tune, All Things Work Out for Good. Kenny, come lead us, please. Let's stand together, if you will. With sin and guilt pours iron toils, and labors hard for peace. But till the Lord, the Savior, smiles, her conscience gets no ease. Her conscience gets no ease. Her efforts all abortive proof her working makes her worse. Not but the Savior's flesh and blood can save her from the curse, can save her from the curse. The Lord, the Savior, is her rest. On him she casts her cares. By faith she leans upon his breast and banishes her fears, and banishes her fears. But till the Holy Ghost applies, the Savior's precious blood. Above her guilt she cannot rise, nor lean upon her God, nor lean upon her God. If you would take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43. You can go ahead and mark your place there because we're going to preach from Isaiah 43, verse 25. We're not going to read that far uh, during the call to worship, but we're going to preach this morning a message that I've entitled, <clears throat> Transgressions Blotted Out, Sins Not Remembered. Transgressions Blotted Out sins not remembered. Let's read the first 21 verses of this chapter together before we go to the Lord in prayer. Isaiah 43, 
verse 1. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable. I have loved thee, therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Bring forth the blind people that have eyes, and the deaf that have ears. Let all the nations be gathered together, and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses. They may be justified, or let them hear and say it is truth. You are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and have saved. I have showed when there was no strange, strange God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Yea, before the day was, I am he. And there's none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall let it? Thus saith the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I have sent to Babylon. And it brought down all their nobles and the Chaldeans whose cry is in the ships. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus saith the Lord, which maketh the way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters, which bringeth forth the chariot and the horse and army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinct. They are quenched as tow. Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the old things, the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness, in rivers in the desert. The beast of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owls, because I give waters in the wilderness, and rivers in the desert to give drink to my, cho my people, my chosen. This people have I formed for myself, that they shall show forth my praise. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Bless us this morning as we pray, as we sing, and as we preach his gospel. 
Where's all board at? Oh, lead us in open prayer, please. Page 212 in your hymnal, page 212, nothing but the blood. <clears throat> what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my part on this I see. Nothing but the blood of Jesus For my cleansing this my plea Nothing but the blood of Jesus Oh, precious is the flow That makes me white as snow No Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus.
everyone. It's such a privilege and such an honor and such a blessing each Sunday that the Lord allows me to stand up and stand before you as my brothers and sisters in Christ and get to preach about him who loved us and gave himself for us. I, you know, we, I, I hope and I pray that when we sing songs, and I know it's been that way all the years that we've been together back when Buddy led our singing and now with Kenny leading our singing, that these men picked songs that seek to glorify and honor the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It put no emphasis on the sinner. And I, you can't help but think about the distinction that's made between the true church and the true gospel and true salvation found only in the person and work of Christ. And how many men and women sing hymns, even like this hymn, sing hymns like Amazing Grace, sing hymns like At the Cross, and they have no clue of the meaning of the word. They just, we, we, most people that I know in religion know the tunes, but they never pay attention to what's coming out of their mouths. Think about this. This is all my hope and peace. I've gone to church all my life given a tithe of everything that I've got. I've loved my wife. I've been good to my kids. I've been a good citizen. I've been a good employee. I've been a good dad. I've been a good mom. I've been a good child. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This, now this is the one that gets them all. This is all my righteousness. See, that's the thing. I'm so grateful that almost 37 years ago, somebody was honest, me, honest with me for the first time about what I needed as a sinner and told me about a righteousness that nobody had ever told me about. Was honest, didn't care about my feelings. Wasn't worried if I got offended. All he was worried about was glorifying and honoring him who determined in his sovereign will and purpose to glorify and honor and magnify himself as a just God who will by no means clear the guilty and yet at the same time be a gracious, glorious Savior to sinners who can do nothing to save themselves or qualify themselves for salvation. And thank God we cannot even do anything to keep ourselves saved. Matter of fact, if we're honest, we do everything in our lives to throw ourselves out of this kingdom. But thank God he will not let us go. We welcome you to our services this morning. Pray the Lord will bless his word to our hearts, minds, and understanding. A couple of announcements before I begin the sermon this morning. We are in conference week this week. I look forward every year. We had to move it back because we had a Wonderful wedding yesterday, uh, but yet in God's providence, everything works out exactly the way it's supposed to. Our conference begins this Friday night at 7 o'clock, and in the first hour, Pastor Gary Shepherd from Sovereign Grace Church in Jacksonville, North Carolina, will preach to us at the 7 o'clock hour, and then at 8 o'clock, my dear brother and friend, Pastor Bill Parker, that all of you know, known him for probably just about as long as I've known him, Pastor Bill Parker will preach to us at the, eight at, the, at the 8 o'clock hour. And then we will order in pizza. We will have pizza in the back for those who want to stay. And then we'll meet again on Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. We'll have donuts present Saturday morning. And Bill will preach in the 
Yeah, Bill will preach in the... No, take it back. Bill, yeah. <laughs> Gary, Gary will preach first, and Bill will preach second. I did that delivery. You'll know Sunday, you'll, you'll know Friday why I put Bill before we're going to eat Sunday. Because <laughs> if I let Gary take that second hour, the fish are going to be cold before we get out back. Okay. <laughs> I know Gary, and I love Gary, but Gary, Gary, won't, Gary won't stick to the time frame because I talked with him up at 13th one time, and he kept running over into my hours. I had to push mine back. So I worked it out, and then Bill will, Gary, Bill will preach in the second hour, and then we'll have a fish fry together, a catered fish fry together, Saturday afternoon right after the services. Then we'll come back the Saturday night, the young people. Young people, Lauren, definition, young people. Under 40? What if we feel like 40? Can we come? Okay. We can hide off to the sides what you're saying. If you're under 40, now don't come up here with extra makeup on trying to look under. If you're under 40, you're welcome to come up here Saturday. What time y'all going to start Saturday? About 6 o'clock, the younger people are going to meet back in the back and have a time of fellowship. We have people coming in from, uh, we have five coming in from Florida. We have uh, four coming in from Kentucky. We have three or four coming in from Canada. And we have hopefully Robert Higby and a guest is coming with him from up in Missouri, plus whoever happens to straggle in to be with us. Uh, but uh, that'll be Saturday. We'll have a fish fry together. And then Sunday morning, uh, Gary will preach in the Sunday Bible class hour, and then Bill will finish the conference out Sunday morning. For all of those that teach next Sunday, if you have children, you're just going to have to put up with it next Sunday. Everybody's going to meet out here during the Sunday Bible class hour because we only do this once a year, and I want all the teachers to have the opportunity to hear all the messages that are during the conference. So we won't have any lessons in the back next week. Everything in the Sunday Bible class hour will be out here, and then Bill will finish out the conference, and then we'll have a fellowship meal together next Sunday after services. There's a sign-up list in the back. If you've not signed up, you still have time to sign up uh, for that. Is that, that pretty self-explanatory? Squares away for next week. I hope you've made your plans to be with us. Pray the Lord will bring our speakers in safely. Bill and Debbie are set to arrive Wednesday. Uh, they are to fly in. I think I told Pam like 12.35 Wednesday they'll fly in. And then Gary flies into Shreveport on Thursday afternoon about 4.30, and me and Bill will go over and pick up Gary and have him here. So you be in prayer for them, him, Bill and Debbie, as they fly in from Atlanta, and Gary as he flies in from Jacksonville, North Carolina. Hope to see all that will be with us. Remember all those that are on the prayer list for our guests that are with us this morning. Glad to have you with us. Pray the Lord to bless his word and bless you in our time of fellowship in the gospel of God's grace. Anything else this morning? Anything need me to speak now forever hold your peace? Okay. okay. If you would take your Bibles with me this morning and turn back to that passage we looked at, Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43. We're only going to deal with one verse. You say, good, we might get out of here in time if he deals with just one verse. Well, there's 22 we've got to talk about before we get to that one verse. <laughs> but I'm not going to read them all, and I'm not going to deal with them. I've entitled this message, Transgressions Blotted Out. 
We'll, we're going to deal with this in depth. Transgression blotted out, sin not remembered. I, I tell you, if that's the God that every man's got to deal with, I would think it's important we know and understand what's being taught to us from the Word of God. You know, when it comes to this all-important matter of eternal life, of salvation, we have to be certain, based on God's testimony, that our hope of salvation, and I want to be as clear as I can be on these things, you know, the question you need to ask yourself is, what is my hope of salvation? What gives me assurance in my heart and in my mind and my understanding if if my life in this present world were to end right now, what hope do I have that I'll stand with God in glory? That I'll be accepted by God and not cast out of His presence. And it's critical that we understand and we know. We know our hope of salvation. And we know that our hope of salvation is a good hope through grace. This hope which all God's elect possess is the same hope the Apostle Paul referred to in this manner. Listen, he says, For we are saved by hope. Hope to my generation, hope to most religious people. You know what it is? It's a wish. It's a desire. It's I hope I've done enough. I hope I've been faithful enough. I hope I've been loving enough. Hope in the scriptures is used here when he says we are saved by hope. That word by hope in the original means a confident expectation of receiving that which is promised. Big deal difference between a wish, isn't it? We're saved by a confident expectation of that which we've been promised, but hope that is, that is seen, not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for? I tell you, I've been walking in this life of faith for about, about 37 years now. And the more I study God's Word, the more convinced I am that we have to remove man. And by I'm talking about remove man. I'm talking about man's character and his conduct. We have to remove that from what the scriptures call salvation. He was, oh, don't say things like that. I, I, I hope by God's grace you, you can see, or he'll enable you to see, because that's the only way you're going to see. I, can't, I, I can tell you about it, can't make you see it, bud. Can't do it. I can point you to him, I can direct you to him. I can be like a signpost on the, on the road to the city of refuge. But you still got to follow the sign. And the only way you're going to follow the sign, he's got to lead you by a way you do not know. He's got to direct your heart, your mind, and your understanding. You know, one, one of the most prominent saints that ever lived, the Apostle Paul, he believed and taught the same exact truth. Listen to these verses that he wrote. For we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus. You don't hear this in most churches. And put no confidence in the flesh. Huh? That's Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. I think he makes it clear here. 
He says, is the law then against the promises of God, the Ten Commandments, the, the moral law, the Mosaic economy, everything included in it, the 635 ceremonial laws, plus the Ten Commandments, plus the priesthood, plus the sacrifices, plus the ceremonies, plus all the rituals, the festival days, Passover, all of it. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a, listen to this, for if there had been a law given, which could have given life, verily righteousness would have came how? It came by the law. It's the only way it could have been. How many people do you know trying their dead level best, getting up every single solitary moment of their life, you too before the grace of God was revealed to you, getting up this morning, putting on their Ten Commandments coat, flexing and getting ready to go out and try to keep it perfectly and completely through the day. And then at the end of the day, either tricking themselves or lying to themselves that they have kept it or devastated that they failed it without hope. We have a good hope through grace. See, that's the difference. He says this. He wrote to a young preacher, Titus. And he said to Titus, listen, not by works of righteousness which we have done. I don't question that we do works of righteousness. I'd say our coming together to worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, put no confidence in the flesh. That's work of righteousness. We wouldn't be here for any other reason. To love God, to love our neighbor, that's works of righteousness. That's our responsibility. And we, by God's grace, to seek it, do it. We seek to do it. Every day we seek to do those things that honor and glorify our God. Whatsoever you do, whatsoever you say, he said this, whatsoever you work, do it all. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything. But he says here, not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy. Get that in your mind. According to his mercy. He saved us. Our Lord looked at the scribes and Pharisees, the most religious, moral, upright generation that existed at his time, and he told them, he said, go learn this. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. My generation turns it around. You know what they put the emphasis on? We'll give our sacrifices. And God says, no, I'm showing mercy. It'll be mercy or it'll be hell on earth. That's all there is. By his mercy he saved us. How did he do it? By the washing of regeneration. That's the new birth. And the renewing of the Holy Ghost. What's that? That's conversion. Which he, listen to this, which he has shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen to the language that being justified, declared righteous by His grace, we should be made heirs according, there's that word again, to the hope of eternal life. <laughs> That's good news for me. Might not be good news to you, it's good news to me. Been good news to me since the very first time I heard it. Let me be as clear as I can be on this point. We must never, and by never I mean never, we must never think, we must never teach, 
And we must never entertain the error that what a sinner does or even what is done in the sinner by God the Holy Spirit makes up any part of a sinner's justification and salvation before the true and living God. That would get me run out of 99% of the churches on this planet. Well, what about what we're doing? Did you not hear what I just said? Do you not hear the word of the Lord? Now, the self-righteous, those who put so much stock in some great change that's occurred in their lives or in some experience that they went through either as a child or as a young adult, I know they'll say, well, you're against God's law. You don't care how, me, how we live. They, they'll make that accusation. Like I've been told for years and years, they've told me this through the years when people heard me preach, and they say, you don't put enough of emphasis on personal obedience. Or they'll accuse us of this. You don't, I've had this one recently, you don't talk about the law enough. I tell you what, if you want to talk about the law, I got nothing for you. And I don't. But let me ask those, those of you that's been under me, for the last 30-plus years, 36-plus years, it's going to be 37 years that I've had the privilege of serving as pastor of this church. In the last 36-plus years, do we not teach personal obedience? You ever, you ever heard me say one time, it don't matter how you live? You ever saw me by my actions prove to you that I think it doesn't matter how we live? Do, do, have you ever heard me speak disparagingly What's well, a hard word to say? Disparagingly of God's holy law. I, I, I'm like the Apostle Paul. The law is holy, just, perfect, and good. And it can only demand perfect obedience. That's all it can do. Nothing wrong with that. But it can't provide me any power to keep it. People seem to think if we stick it up on the wall, somehow or another it's going to rub off on us. And I, the majority of people in the United States think that the downfall of the United States is when we took the Ten Commandments out of the schools and out of the public building. That ain't got nothing to do with that. The problem is this thing's getting worse because God Almighty purposed it to be worse. We, I get so tired of people saying, well, we're a God-feared nation. Now, they fear some God, they don't fear this God. They think God will somehow or another clear the guilty. God has to make the guilty righteous. That's the only way He can clear us. He's not, he's not pretending that I'm righteous. He's made me righteous in His dear Son. But here's the thing. We do not, no, we ever, we, well, we ever as long as I'm the pastor of this church, and I think you wouldn't stand for it if I fell out dead and somebody came in behind me. As long as this grace pulpit stands in Ruston, Louisiana, we will never teach that a, that a sinner should look to their own personal obedience or any improvement in their lives as a cause or hope of their eternal security. Nor should they look to any of those things done by them for their comfort 
and they certainly shouldn't look to them as evidence that they're saved. Your evidence is what? The testimony of God. This is the record that he hath given to us eternal life. He's given it to us. No conditions. In his life, this life that he's given to us, where is it at? It's in his son. That, that's your proof that you're saved. Do you believe the record? You believe the record, you got God. If you don't believe the record, you don't have the son. It's not, well, I'm not a drunk. I'm not a liar. I, I don't cheat on my wife. I go to church every Sunday. I'm moral. I'm kind. I'm compassionate. I'm loving. I'm every, everybody likes me. Everybody thinks I'm good as gold. Wrong hope. Matter of fact, that's no hope. None. The justified saint should and must look only to Christ and his righteousness for all of salvation. Folks, salvation from first to last, from alpha to omega, is just like Jonah declared it to be in that whale's belly. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that which I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Ray, I just looked at my watch and I saw I just preach one of them introductions you talked about. <laughs> As an introduction, put a period there, okay? Now on to the verses, okay? Now in this 43rd chapter of Isaiah, God talks about his chosen people, Israel. Calls them Jacob, calls them Israel. Now these people that he called Israel, they're, they're not a reference. Now I want you to follow me, follow me because this is where everybody gets so mixed up on so many things in the Scripture. These people that he calls and refers to as Jacob and Israel, it's not a reference to every single solitary individual that did and would make up that group of individuals over there that stand on a little plot of land in the Middle East called National Israel. That's not what he's talking about. It's a reference to who? It's a reference to God's true Israel, the Israel of God. Chosen sinners out of every kindred, nation, tongue, and people on the planet of the earth from the beginning of time until the end of time. I, I put it like this. John in John 3.16 referred to this Israel. And he referred to him with this word. For God so loved the world. Who? Israel. All of them. Past, present, and future. Now you think back to those verses we read this morning in the call to worship in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 22. Well, we're through verse 21. You think back, think back to them. Think back what we read. Listen to this. Fear not, I have redeemed thee. I've called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. He says, when thou walkest through the waters, I'll be with thee. Now that does apply to me. But if you go back and you read these verses, read them closely. Read what he says here. When he makes this statement, Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and from the west. Who, who's he talking about? His servant. Who's the servant? Not Israel. It's Christ. That's who he's talking about. This is all about Christ. So can't we say that everything that we read in verses 1 through 22, it, it's declaring to us God and his servant. His word. See, they've made salvation about what we do. I was watching that program last night. I finished it up on Hillsong Church. They had, in one single year, Kenny, they had like, like 
1.3 million people accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. I don't know how you track that kind of stuff. Yeah, I remember back in, when I was a kid, when old Billy Graham had all of his stuff on TV, you know, that when, when we were a religious nation, big-time religion, before most people got completely out of even false religion. But they'd get up there, and he'd get to the end. You know what he'd do? They'd, they'd play Just As I Am 14,000 times. And folks would just, y'all come on down up out of the island. People would flow in these big cities, you know, New York and, you know, Los Angeles. People just flowing down to the front, just hundreds of them. I thought, whatever happened to all of them folks? Where'd they all go? Now, see, that's the thing. You make a profession of religion, it go away. This don't ever go away. When this grasps your heart by God's grace, it's got you forever. But can't we say that all of that's talking about none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, talking about the God who saves? Because that's what this is all about. It's not about what will you do for Jesus. Did you hear that a lot in false religion? Or what you considered religion? What will you do with Jesus? I tell you what, it ain't up for you to do anything with him. It's what will he do with you is what they ought to be asking. Because I tell you what, if it's got anything to do with us, we're done. Every one of us. Everybody sitting in this building, this man standing in this pulpit, the Pope, all of us, we done. Every one of us. But look at verse 22 through verse 24. He's, he's talked about his, his chosen seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 22 through verse 24, he says this, that thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob, but thou hast been weary of me, O Israel. Thou hast not brought me the small cattle of thy burnt offerings, neither hast thou honored me with thy sacrifices. I have not caused thee to serve with an offering, nor wearied thee with incense. Thou hast brought me no sweet cane with money, neither hast thou filled me with the fat of sacrifices, but thou hast made me to serve with thy sins. What is it? This is a complaint of the true and living God that saves by grace and mercy against his chosen people, Jacob and Israel. You think about this. Everything that Isaiah wrote in these three verses, 22, 23, 24, it shows us that God would be just to condemn these people for their disobedience. But here's the thing, the sinfulness and rebellion of man, even God's redeemed, is an opportunity for God to reveal to us and to all what? The greatness of his grace. Now look at our text. I, and you'll see even as in italic, verse 25, I, I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sin. You know, this is the second time in this chapter that God moved his servant Isaiah to record the same words. Back up in verse 11, he said, I, I am the Lord, and beside me, now listen to this, beside me, this, this Lord that shows mercy to the guilty and gives grace to those that are unworthy, he said, beside me, what? There's no Savior. There's none. 
When I see the Lord referred to in this way, the, the word, he says, I am. It always carries my mind back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, to the father of the faithful, Abram, when God first revealed himself to Abram, not Abraham, Abram, before he changed his name. And this God, this God in Isaiah 43 said to Abram, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield. I am thy exceeding great reward. I don't care about any city over the hilltop mansion over the hilltop I ain't worried about finding any of my old dead relatives me and my wife talk about this a lot as we age when when I go or if she goes whichever way this thing works out one day she ain't gonna be up there waiting looking for me and I'm not gonna be up there waiting looking for her I'm looking for the lamb huh I'm gonna be I'm gonna be up there with those or she'll be up there with those just men Made perfect. Following the lamb with us wherever he goes. We're going over here. I'm going where the lamb's going. I want to be with the lamb. She didn't save me. I didn't save her. He did it. In its entirety. Folks, Abraham was not looking for that piece of property over there. He wasn't looking for a physical land. What was he looking for? He was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God Almighty. That's what his desire was. That was his hope. And his hope is what? It's my hope. It's your hope. But I think the importance of the way the Lord states this in our text rests in the fact God references himself twice. He says, I, not enough emphasis, I am. I am he that blotteth out thy sin. It's double emphasis where he repeats his, his pronoun twice. He <laughs> choose a pronoun. His is I. He refers to himself twice as I. I am he. This double emphasis stresses importance which should give special attention to something. Consider this. These sinners called Jacob and Israel had done everything worthy of God's just condemnation. They're told by this God who would have been just in condemning them twice in a row back to back that God alone is the hope and cause of their redemption and their reconciliation. He doesn't tell them to look to themselves. He doesn't call on them to improve themselves. He didn't call on them to try harder. He told them what? Look to him for salvation. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember thy sins. Turn over one chapter, a couple chapters to Isaiah 45. Look at verse 20. Every time I stand up and preach the gospel, I think about Paul on Mars Hill. And they, them people out there, they were so worried about offending some God, they had that statue erected that said to an unknown God. And Paul stood up and he told him, he said, that unknown God that you ignorantly worship, I'm going to tell you about him. <laughs> I'm going to make it clear. That's what preaching the gospel is. 
It's telling people about a God they don't know about by nature. Look at this. Assemble yourselves, verse 20, and come, draw near together, you that are escaped of the nation that have no knowledge. That's important. They have no knowledge. And that what Paul's complaint against Rome, the Israelites, the Jewish nation was, those who had the law and trying to keep the law. In Romans chapter 10, he says, For I there bear them record, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They have no knowledge that set up a wood of their graven image and pray unto a God. Here's, here's what most people today are doing. They're praying to a God that cannot save. He offers salvation. He wants you to come to Him. He wants you to let Him save you. Won't you let Him save you? That's not the God of this book. Tell ye and bring them near, verse 21. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there's no God else beside me. Now who is this God? Who's the God of your salvation? Here He is. He better be. A just God and a Savior. There's none beside this one. A just God and a Savior. But thank God, look what he said, verse 22. Look unto me. Look unto me who? A just God and a Savior. And be ye saved. All the ends of the earth. For I am God and there's none else. Same is true in every generation of God's redeemed is revealed by the Apostle Paul. He says this, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with such great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Which one's the one that so easily besets us? Unbelief. I find myself every moment of my day, Lord, I believe, help thou my And let us run the race with patience that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and completer. And in, in italics it says of our faith. But in the original it's Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and the completer of faith. And if you'll recall, that faith that he's the author and completer of is defined for us in Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I can't see salvation, can you? But faith tells me it's real. And faith tells me there was a Savior. There is a Savior, even the Lord Jesus Christ. This verse is so filled with so much truth. He says, I am, I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions. Listen to this verse. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. King David used it like this. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Here we go. Blot out my transgressions. Words used by King David in that verse from Isaiah that I read to you and in our text, they bear the, the idea of a ledger that has somebody's debts written in it. 
And those debts, when he talks about he blots them out, it means they're literally scratched out. Or they draw a line through them, what they mean. Canceling the debt. But in reality, when you look a little deeper at these words, it means a whole lot more than that. It actually means to obliterate or to wipe out. Or better yet, to wipe out of one's memory. Gone. No more. Our English word obliterate, according to Webster, it means to destroy utterly, to wipe out, cause to become invisible. Here's the thing. All my transgressions. All of them. I mean, all of them. You talking about all of them? Yeah, I'm talking about all of them. Because here's the thing. When this transaction occurred, when Christ said, it is finished, all of my future, my sins were, like Kenny said at the funeral, that they were yet future then. Right? So all my transgressions are so perfectly put away that they're no longer remembered by my God. He will turn again. I love this passage. I can hear Henry in my mind. I hear Henry in my, my, my ear right now. He will turn again. He will have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou wilt cast all their sins into the depth of the sea. I always remember Henry saying he'd put up a sign that says no fishing. Because we're constantly casting back there, aren't we? Dredging back up. Thank God he don't dredge, dredge things back up. We tell people, I forgive you. The next argument we have, what's the first thing we bring up? What we said we'd forgot. Been married? We do that, don't we? We're worse than elephants. We, don't, we remember everything. And it always comes back up at the worst times. Huh? Surely, you think about this. This can't rest on me. Any way, shape, form, or fashion. Can't rest on my obedience. It can't rest on my religious efforts. The only way God can and did blot out or obliterate from His memory my sins or my transgressions was as He dealt with them perfectly and completely in the person of my substitute my surety, go learn what that word means. You need to know from the scriptures what a surety is. My surety, my representative man, the Lord Jesus Christ, he hath laid on him, Isaiah said, the iniquity of us all, and by his stripes we are healed. Our sins and our transgressions are not, nor will they ever be laid to our account. Why? Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree justified us by his obedience unto death. Paul said in Hebrews chapter 10, for we read it every time we take the Lord's table, for by one offering he hath perfected forever, how long? Forever. Them that are sanctified, set apart by God for his glory. But notice what he says next. He says why he did this. I'll blotted out your transgression because you want me to. no. Notice, no, for my own sake. For my own. You think about it. The one who wrote the law, the one who gave the law by Moses, the one whose law has been broken by all mankind, the one who hates all sin, 
the one who is infinitely just, the one, this is, this is the one that just sticks in my mind, the one who will by no means clear the guilty is the same God who delights and actually glories in his forgiveness of sin in a way that glorifies and honors him and his redemptive character as a just God and a Savior. Listen to me, nobody can forgive sin but God. Huh? In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. It's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Let's repeat it again in another epistle. Even the forgiveness of sins. That's Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. I'm not sure who said it. I stole it just like I steal everything else from everyone. I'm a religious thief, Kenny. But it's still true. And I think about this a lot, especially when I'm in prayer confessing my sin to my God. Confessing your sins can't bring forgiveness. Did they tell you that? All you got to do is confess your sin. Confession don't put away sin. Tears of remorse can't forgive sin. Esau sought repentance with, wept with bitter tears. Promising to do better can't put away sin. And I'll even go one step further. Even doing better can't put away sin. According to God's own word, this text, God forgives sins. Why? For his own sake. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. He wasn't taking us back from the devil. He was making us presentable to himself. I love what old, old author Kenneth, this is one for you to check me up on this week. You, I know you'll write me later in the week and tell me, do you know, do you know who said that? I didn't give the author credit for it, but I'm still going to steal what he said. He says, forgiveness is not procured by anything of the creature. Not by riches, not by righteousness, not by repentance, not by faith, not by obedience, not to any ordinance. It is not for the sake of these that the Lord forgives sin, but for his own sake and the Son's sake, which is the same. It is an instance of unmerited and distinguishing grace it flows from the free grace of God. It is a branch of the covenant of grace. It is through the blood of Christ and yet according to the riches of His grace. It is for the glory of His divine perfections of justice, truth, faithfulness, as well as His grace and His mercy. And after such a list of sins of omission and commission, to hear such language as this is surprising grace indeed. What he said of them in chapter 20, 43, verse 22 through 24. And then he turns around and shows them grace. And he said, I will not remember thy sins. The last part of this verse. What a comfort and truth to a sinner. Are you a sinner this morning? See, that's, that's the thing. I got something for sinners. Christ did come to call the, those that thought they were righteous to salvation. He called to call, came to call and save Sinners. The greatest apostle of all said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I, Paul, 
I'm the chief. I'm the top dog. I'm the worst. And I'm like, what was Paul seeing that was so bad that he would address himself as the chief of sinners? He said it like this. I know that in me, in my flesh, dwells no good thing. I'm fed up with good people. I have hope. Lord offers hope to sinners, pure and simple. We're still sinners every moment of our lives, are we not? None of us, none of us, your pastor included, none of us love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength every moment of our day. Do you? If you think you have, you're a liar to yourself and you're a liar before God because God says if you say you have no sin, you make God a liar and his truth's not in you. Sin still affects every area of our lives, even as justified saints. Some of you ladies might be worried right now about your roast burning on the stove somewhere. Or maybe some of us are worried about he's gone so long we'll be way behind the lunch lines <laughs> out there at the restaurants today. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. And there's not one of us here this morning that's loved our neighbor as ourselves. Would you like the Apostle Paul find yourself constantly thinking in your mind, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I want to do these things, don't you? I want to love God with all my heart. I want to love my neighbors myself. I want to serve God perfectly and completely every single solitary waking of my moment of my life. But I can't. The good I want to do, I don't do. The evil I don't want to do, that's exactly what I find myself doing. But this one phrase, you think about it, will not remember thy sin. This one phrase encourages you and me as sinners to take heart and be a good cheer in spite of ourselves and our remaining sinfulness. The true and living God, you know what He does? Unlike us, He forgives and He forgets. Forgives and He forgets. Solomon put it like this, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Will not remember thy sin forever. But he doesn't stop there. Nothing can be put to it, nor can anything be taken from it. And God doeth it this way. Why? That men should fear before him. That's the thing. You know this God, you know that that God will not overlook any sin. Every sin you've ever committed, God dealt with it in strict justice. He must. Now, here's the thing, and I, and we'll, we'll quit with it. God will not at some point in time reach back into some old ledger book and drag back up something that you did when you were 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of age. It's just not going to happen. God won't remember the sins of his people again Seeing what's he done? He's forgiven them of their sins for his own sake. Listen, his glory's at stake in this thing of salvation. You think he's going to stake that on us? He swore by himself. When he could swear by no other, he swore by himself. According to his covenant and his oath. And what's he sworn? He will never punish us because he punished us perfectly and completely in our surety, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this verse. 
The Lord thy God is in the midst of thee, is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. What, what's God's love? You ever thought about that? Let me show it to you in the New Testament. Here ends love. Not that we love God. Everybody tells me all the time about how much they love God. Here ends love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And what did he do? He sent his son. And it, it has to be. Words are important. To be is in italics. It's not a potential for salvation. He sent his son into this world, the propitiation for our sin. What, the perfect satisfaction to his own law and justice for his people. I think Paul put it best, and I'll quit with this, for I am persuaded, I am convinced, that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature. If I've left out anything else, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is where? It's only found one place. Which I told, was talking to Kenny about this last night. Was the, well, it wasn't last night, yesterday afternoon at the wedding. This thing of... God, God doesn't rejoice in us individually in our own persons. He rejoices in us as we are where? In His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That God loves the Son. And if we're in the Son, God's love's upon us. And if we're not in the Son, you know what? The wrath of God abides on us. I think this is the love that God rests in, that love. His love and sin in His Son. And this love is found in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the only thing a sinner needs. It's the only thing a sinner wants. And it's the only thing a sinner can and will ever look to as their only hope and cause of salvation from first to last. Jonah got it right. Salvation is of the Lord. May the Lord bless his word. Bless you as you travel to your appointed places. Join us again this next Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday for our Bible conference. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed. I appreciate your presence. But if you would dismiss me, please.